Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. The word of the Lord. Okay, good morning, everybody. It's great to uh, be here with you, and I'm excited to participate in the series on the Psalms of Ascent. I've been really excited about this one. Um, so uh, if you don't know me, my name is Brody. I'm an intern here, and I'm in my final year at Duke Divinity School. And I, yeah, that's really exciting. I've been in school since I was five, and uh, it's getting about, I'm like used to this process year after year. It's getting to that time of year when the only thing like getting me through my assignments anymore, especially as the weather gets nice, is like thoughts of summer vacation and, you know, beach trips and whatever else. Um, and it's been like that for a long time. I don't know if like you are in the school year cycle or you have children who are in the school year cycle. It's like right around this time, the only thing we can think about is like finishing and then like having a nice summer. Um, and that got me thinking about uh, the like weirdest, funniest uh, summer vacation story from when I was young. So we're gonna like, you're gonna get some uh, exposure of like young Brody here. So this is like, this is like I'm, I'm trusting y'all. These would be a safe place, no judgment. Um, but when I was six years old, uh, my family was gonna take a vacation to Mexico which was not the norm for my family. Money was tight. Um, and, and so a big vacation like this was really exciting. We didn't do another one for the whole time I was young. So this was like a big deal. And we were all really excited. Uh, we were packing our suitcases. I had my swimsuit and my snorkel. And that was all I was planning to bring. I had to be thoroughly convinced to pack anything else. But after packing everything up, we traveled to Raleigh, where we were uh, going to board an international flight. But when we got to the airport, there was some kind of issue with my documentation. Uh, apparently, my parents didn't know this, but to get like on an international flight with a young kid, um, they had to have uh, the original copy of my birth certificate, and they had like a like a copy, and so that was complicated. We couldn't get on the flight right away, so we had to move our vacation back and had to find a, the original birth certificate, which fortunately was in the records office in Raleigh. So that was convenient, but we had to wait till they opened which was after the weekend. So we were like stuck in Raleigh for a few days. And I was like standing there in the airport, swimsuit, snorkel, all ready to go. <laughs> and, and like learning the news that, oh, before we go on this like exciting beach vacation, you have to wait in this city for three days uh, with nothing to do. And so I just assumed that it would be miserable and terrible. Um, and it, like compared to a Mexico vacation, it kind of was. But what, what I found was that as we were killing time touring around downtown Raleigh, 
Uh, my family and siblings and I, we started talking about how great Mexico was going to be. And we started imagining the crisp, clear water and all of the warm beaches and all of the luxurious sunburn and the interesting fish that we would see. We imagined how fun it would be to play games on the beach. And by the time we finally like dealt with all the logistics and got there, all of that imagining and anticipation had, had made the actual experience of the trip so much richer and more valuable than it probably would have been otherwise. And I, I think that that's important because imagination is a vital part of the human experience. It's hard to take a road trip or begin a degree program or start a new relationship or move to a new place or, or have a child without imagining what that will be like beforehand. Right? The, the imagination of picturing this life is an important part of experiencing the life. And I know that there's some people here who are big Tampa Bay fans who are starting to imagine this surprise extra season with Tom Brady, right? And I'm sure that's building all kinds of anticipation. Imagining our collective destination is an important part of our journey. About this. Oh, I'm all turned around. Okay, here we go. Imagination, it can get us through a tough process. Um, like when you imagine what life will be like after surgery, or when you imagine what life will be like after you get out from under some, some really frustrating debt. Imagination can help us become the sort of person we need to be. Like, like how you can imagine playing catch with your grandkids and that can encourage you to try to stay active for when you get there. Imagination plays a vital role in our spiritual lives as well. Together, we imagine the city of God and we act and we grow and we shape our lives according to that imagination. And that's what Psalm 122 is kind of for. In this psalm, we're witnessing Israel imagine the holy city of Jerusalem while they travel there for a holy feast, while they're on pilgrimage there. What will it be like when we get there? They, they imagine what the walls are like, what the thrones are like, what the feel of the city is, what it'll be like to be surrounded by so many people singing songs and praising God together. But they aren't just imagining it in conversation or in their minds. They're imagining it in song. The Hebrew phrase for the Psalms of Ascent can be directly translated to something like songs for your footsteps or songs for the journey. That's why Meg last week described the Psalms of Ascent perfectly as Israel's ultimate road trip playlist. And it makes a lot of sense. The tribes of Israel are making their way from all across the region to the holy city, not just in like this logistical planning mode, but in worship, in song. And this will be a totally familiar instinct to you if you've ever made a road trip playlist or a breakup playlist or a delivery room playlist or a marathon playlist or even a pandemic playlist. Music and, and song is an integral part of our collective imagination. Gwen, uh, my wife, thinks a lot about music. And uh, she explains that music that draws us close to God, especially in difficult seasons, can become what she describes as musical Ebenezers or monuments of God's help and grace in awful times that take the form of song. 
suddenly that that breakup playlist that helped you get through it or um, that worship playlist that helped you manage stressful days in college or that hymn that you sang at a loved one's funeral. These songs become monuments of God's presence with us on the journey that we return to time and time again. And here's Israel imagining in song the good life, life in the city of God, in, in music. And what exactly do they imagine? What is this, this vision of the good life, the city of God? Verse 3 says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord a city that is closely compacted together, worshiping the Lord in community. That's what they're imagining. And now reading these words and seeing how Israel celebrated and rejoiced going to the holy city, it's really different after a global pandemic. And I say after, who knows when after will be. The things that they're excited about include gathering with their tribe in close community, making their way to a dense, compacted city, worshiping side by side, shoulder to shoulder. The joy that this psalm is describing is one that's not available during a pandemic. You can't have a closely packed city. You can't have a crowded temple. You can't rejoice with those who say to you, let us go to the house of the Lord. You can't imagine the city of God when there's a pandemic, at least not in the same way. This week marks two years since Oak Church went home and discontinued in-person services for the pandemic. Two years since our last potluck, two years since singing and rejoicing together, praising God without the anxiety of sickness and the fear of infecting somebody that you love. These have been a hard two years. Forget about imagining the beauty of God's kingdom. Some days it's been hard to imagine getting out of bed. We've lost loved ones. We've said our last goodbyes through a screen. We've missed graduations, weddings, birthdays. We've lost jobs, struggled through homeschooling and working at the same time. I don't know about you, but... Through all of this, my imagination shrunk. I couldn't really see a way forward. My heart was so far from rejoicing with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And yet I never knew how much I needed the fellowship in the house of the Lord with all of you until it was gone. We all went home and it wasn't safe to gather for church. We didn't just lose the nice feelings of community when we gather together, we lost our forms of collective imagination. You see, one, one part of being the church that sort of operates under the surface, and you don't notice it until something goes wrong with it, is all of our liturgical practices are creating in us an imagination for the world that God is building. Singing and preaching and confession and prayer Passing the peace, baptism, communion, godly play, the oak garden. These are all ways that we imagine and rehearse life in the kingdom of God. And when they all went away, things felt tight and, and small. 
things felt impossible. These practices open us up to the ways that the Spirit is shaping us into the people who can thrive in the city of God, in the holy city. These practices, there are road trip playlists. There are eager conversations imagining what it will be like when we get there. Without these practices, maybe you felt your imagination and hope shrivel up. We need ways to imagine the kingdom of God. Without collective imagination, we're not able to live as our true selves. If you zoom out on this concept, it, it kind of seems like culture itself is so in some ways an expression of liturgical imagination. Just about every people group around the world and throughout time has included some element of culture. In other words, human life has never been just about subsistence. It's never just been about the, the gathering, hunting, farming, and storing of food. There's always, there always seems to be some surplus time and energy that, that humans set aside for singing, dancing, painting, innovating, storytelling, and imagining. And the church is no exception to that. We've grown into an imagination of the kingdom of God that's been passed down for generations through song and art and, and worship and primarily scripture and, and tradition. We, we rehearse that imagination in all of the stuff that we do, all of the churchy things that, you know, we, we wonder why we're still doing this. It's because it, it rehearses in us an imagination for life in the kingdom of God. This collective imagining, even if we don't realize it, is doing a few things. I've got, a, I've got a bulleted list. My preaching professor would be really proud of me right now. It's doing a few things. First, this collective imagining is building in us a hope when the world looks hopeless. And it's nothing new for the outlook of the world, human society, to be pretty bleak. Now, it's a, it's a special kind of bleak right now, right? There, between the pandemic and climate change and, and racial and economic injustice and war and, and all the rest. It, it, I'm not trying to say that this is a precedented moment, right? The, the, the challenges that face us are serious. The despair is real and founded. But we've gotten through things like this before without losing hope. And part of the reason is that the kingdom of God presents an unshakable hope, even when there's no rational reason to have hope. Christian hope isn't founded on things that you can see and predict and, and make sense of. It's founded on imagination, which, which isn't logical. That, that it doesn't need to be logical, right? Because we believe in the spirit of God and the hope that God is building. Right? God has worked in wild and un unprecedented, unpredictable, unimaginable ways in the past. Right? Think of Christ's incarnation and, and resurrection. We know that God can bring hope when there is no hope. The difference lately is that we've lost some of our ways of holding on to that hope, of imagining that hope together. When those take a hit, despair can really take over. The second thing that this collective imagination is doing is that it helps us desire the kingdom of God when we're otherwise trained to desire other kingdoms. We live, for example, in a consumer culture. 
Now, that's not a judgment. It's just a fact. <laughs> some cultures are warrior cultures. Some cultures are honor cultures. We, we are a consumer culture. We can't decide not to live in a consumer culture. Even if you try, even if you try to move to the country and isolate yourself from society, we all know that you're inevitably going to end up as like a YouTube influencer, this like off the grid YouTube influencer telling people how to like, you know, <laughs> how to get out of consumer culture. And you're going to be reading YouTube ads for Grove Collaborative before it's all over. And like, it's okay. It, just accept it. <laughs> we live in a consumer culture. It's not always bad. Grove Collaborative makes some great products. But we live in a consumer culture and we're being trained to desire certain kinds of kingdom, certain kinds of good life based on the culture that we live in. And, and this is why regular immersion in the imagination of God's kingdom together with God's people helps us to imagine God's world and desire God's world. When we desire that world, we, re we recognize where our world falls short of it, and we strive to change that. And that's, that's part of the third thing that this collective liturgical imagination is doing. It's shaping us into the people that we will need to be when we get there. It's shaping us into the people we'll need to be in God's kingdom. The psalm that we're reading today opens with the line, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How do you rejoice with those who say to you, let us go to the house of the Lord? Just put yourself in the shoes of this psalmist. Now, for an ancient Israelite, this invitation is not the same as, hey, put your shoes on, get in the car, it's time for church. That's hard enough on its own, right? But this invitation is, hey, do you want to walk several hundred miles with me through barren wasteland so that we can go to a crowded, noisy city and sing songs about God? No, not really. How do you become the sort of person that rejoices at that invitation? That, that actually sounds like a flourishing life. This psalmist very clearly has been shaped by liturgical imagination all their lives and the prospect of gathering with God's people in the temple of the Lord and, and worshiping is thrilling. Not only does this liturgical imagination shape us into people who love to be in God's presence and with God's people, but it also shapes us into people who work to make the world more like the city of God, who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before the Lord. Now, this sort of spiritual imagination, this liturgical imagination that's so important for this psalm can go really wrong sometimes. It all depends on the character of the kingdom that you're imagining. What sort of kingdom are we imagining? James K.A. Smith, in his book, Imagining the Kingdom, writes this, we become a people who desire the kingdom or who desire some other rival version of the kingdom, insofar as we are a people who have been trained to imagine the kingdom in a certain way. In other words, we desire the kingdom we imagine. And sometimes we can really imagine the wrong kingdom or imagine it unfolding in the wrong way. I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean. 
One of history's most famous examples of spiritual imagination is a little book called Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you read it. It was published in 1678, and it sold nearly as many copies as the Bible. Just about everybody in the English-speaking world had a copy in their home of Pilgrim's Progress. It was really like Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. Basically, every person in, in, in the the world of Christendom, especially English-speaking Christendom, like th this shaped the culture. Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. It was written by a pastor named John Bunyan, and it's an allegorical expression of a Christian's journey to the city of God. In the book, the city of God is called the Celestial City. And here are the words of the main character, whose name is Christian, um, as Christian decides to set out for the Celestial City. If I can get to the celestial city, I'm sure that I will be in safety there. I must venture to go back is nothing but death. To go forward is fear of death and life everlasting beyond it. I will yet go forward. This whole book is one long imagining of God's kingdom. And it's a beautiful book. It includes all sorts of theology densely packed into a compelling and beautiful story of struggle, perseverance, faith, hope. And for hundreds of years, this was a top-selling book. It was one of the primary ways that people became familiar with the Christian faith at a personal level. And now, some of the people who were captivated by this imagining of God's kingdom included American pioneers, which got complicated. There's a historian named David Smith who observes a connection between the novel's description of a holy pilgrimage from the world to the holy city and the fervor of, of manifest destiny that drove uh, this, this push for westward expansion that ended up killing and displacing countless Native Americans. Now that is not the, the kingdom that God is building. That is not the imagination that we're called to foster as God's people. Smith describes the spiritual motivation behind westward expansion as Americanized imitations of the pilgrim's journey from worldly wilderness to heavenly reward. In the novel, the pilgrim doesn't hurt anyone, displace anyone. In fact, the pilgrim is sort of carried along by chance encounters, by unexpected obstacles, and by luck, which he comes to understand as grace. But some American pioneers instead imagined a pilgrimage to a holy city that involved taking control, expanding their land and their power at the expense of countless lives and livelihoods and the environment. They had imagined and therefore desired a very different kind of kingdom. The only difference between a pilgrim and a crusader is what you plan to do when you get where you're going. What sort of good life, what sort of kingdom are you imagining? What sort of peace and security do you have in mind for the holy city? Is it a peace and security that you create for yourself with barbed wires along the walls and heavily armed guards at the gate? Or is it a peace that emerges from the grace of God moving in hearts to foster hope and healing and hospitality. 
Another example of how this imagination can go wrong comes straight from the New Testament. Think about Judas. Judas didn't hate Jesus. Judas didn't have this evil plan from the beginning to betray Jesus. They just had creative differences. Judas imagined the kingdom of God coming in a certain way, a way that was predictable according to how Judas had seen kingdoms take over. He knows how king how he understands very well as a first century Jew how a kingdom takes over. A kingdom moves in, invades with brute force, throws out the current king and and installs a new regime. It, there's a lot of violence, control, triumph and victory. Judas didn't imagine that that a king would just love everyone and then die. That wasn't the way things were supposed to go. Judas imagined a kingdom of God marked by control and power, and not so much the slow, unpredictable work of an invisible Holy Spirit, transforming hearts and bringing harmony over time. His imagination had been formed in a certain way, and he acted according to that imagination. The psalm for today, Psalm 122, is trying to help us imagine the city of God in a certain way so that we will be shaped in a certain way. It encourages us to think about the city of God as crowded. In other words, the pilgrimage isn't just about me, it's about us. It teaches us to imagine the city of God as safe for everyone. It teaches us to imagine a city that requires our contribution. The end of the psalm says, For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, Peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. The city will be peaceful and prosperous, but not automatically. We're invited, asked, expected to contribute with our living and our acting and our worshiping to the prosperity of the city of God. And that's why it's so important that we practice imagining it, desiring it, and being shaped into the people who will help it flourish. To contribute to the city's flourishing, we will need to foster imagination and hope, even when there is no hope. As we look back on these last two years, considering all that we've been through, I hope that our rhythms of imagining God's kingdom can restore some of the hope that seemed lost for so long. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to practice your kingdom, to imagine your kingdom, to get the kingdom, the character of the kingdom, the beauty and and safety and love of the kingdom into our bodies and minds. We pray that we won't take this for granted and that we'll remember why this matters and what can happen when this falls apart. God, we pray on this sort of two-year anniversary of probably the hardest season of all of our lives, 
that you will begin to restore some hope, that you will heal those who are sick, that you will bring new life where there has been death. We praise you and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.